Good morning, church. Crown him with many crowns. If, uh, what do they say? If that didn't light your fire, your wood's wet. I mean, we get to worship the living Christ again and come to his word again. We don't deserve one breath of life. And here he has redeemed us a people for his own possession and has given us his good word that we get to open and receive again and again and again. So if you have a copy of God's word, turn to Exodus chapter 20. The Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. His goodness is over all that he has made and in all of his good word that he's given to us. And that has been an emphasis as we have come to Exodus chapter 20 and we've been studying the Ten Commandments and we've been seeing how these were words of life given to the people of Israel. Yes, they were a tutor to lead us to Christ. They show us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us could obey God by our own strength or have merit that would commend ourselves to God. But this moral law is righteous and holy and good. It expresses the very heart of God and his character. And this is a, an eternally binding law. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. This law reflects his heart. It's his character, his ways. And so the scriptures say, even in uh, Romans chapter 2, that the law of God is written, and the effect of the law of God is written on the hearts of mankind. People know what is right according to God's law, and they suppress the truth and unrighteousness and actually can sear their own conscience or harden their hearts against God. But this is a law that God has made known in all the earth. It is a law that in Jeremiah 31, he promised to not just give us on external tablets of stone, but to actually write his law on the hearts of his redeemed people so that Actually, if you've placed your trust in Christ and he has made you new, he said, I have put this law within your heart and on your mind so that he would be our God and we would be his people that obey him. And so, yes, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. But it's important for you to understand as a church, especially as we go to study the law, that it, he is the end of the law for righteousness that we could attain by our own efforts, but as our righteousness himself, because he perfectly obeyed this law. He imputes his righteousness to us, and now he empowers us to live in a new and holy life. And the obedience that he calls us to is his good law, that he empowers us to when we say he empowers us to become like him, we're, another way of saying that is he empowers us to obey his commandments. And so with that in mind, I ask you that you stand with me in the honor of reading God's good law. We're going to be in verses 8 through 11 of Exodus chapter 20. This is the word of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, 
you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray. Father, what a joy to come to your word and to receive good gifts from your hand. We believe that your law is righteous and holy and good and that you are good and your mercy is over all that you've made and especially to us in Christ, that he has redeemed us and has given us his good word so that we might honor you in all of life. Would you please give us understanding according to your word, send forth your spirit and unite this word to our hearts with faith. Help us to be uh, a faith-filled and obedient people. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So this is not to pick on anybody. You like it when messages start like that? You know, a lot of times if you ask people, how are you doing? I think probably the most common response that you would get is, busy. Good, but busy. Some people might say, okay. Um, It's become very socially acceptable to not answer that question very honestly because you don't want to freak people out by being like, I feel kind of weary and neurotic right now, and I don't know if I'm going to make this week. But other than that, I'm all right. So so then we tell people like, busy, busy, busy. I'm just busy. And uh, if you ask me next week, I'm going to say busy again. And it's like this chronic plague that's pervasive, especially in our culture, to, to kind of busy ourselves with this frenetic activity that never stops and never ceases to where all of the sudden, if you were to actually stop and take inventory of your life, you'd realize you don't even know how to sit still anymore. You don't know how to rest. And so we, we cope by trying to give ourselves what we think will be little moments of rest or break. So you go to social media or you turn on the TV and you try to give yourself rest through entertainment that is empty and you get up from the entertainment feeling no more refreshed or replenished than you were when you went to it. And so we go on from weariness to weariness to obligation to obligation, feeling like life is just a grind and there is no true rest. But there is another way. God has written into the fabric of creation a a gift to give to everyone, to all of his people, that there would be a day for rest. And he gave it for a myriad of reasons that we're going to see this morning. Um, Admittedly, many Christians do not see the Sabbath day as a gift. I think many are probably confused on it. How, How do we honor this commandment on this side of the cross of Christ, which we're going to talk about this morning. Some people may think, well, this just doesn't apply to us now. Or, man, I tried to read about that, but it was all so confusing. I'm just going to, like, do my best. Some, even though they may not say it as explicitly as this, feel the same way as Bill Gates, who, when asked why he didn't believe in God, said, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. So even if we won't say that with our lips, a lot of us express that with our lives. If something better comes up or if work presses in too hard, it's a lot more efficient uses of my time than actually 
honoring this concept, this day of rest. Now, it is true that the revelation of Christ has deepened and transformed these 10 laws that are still binding on all God's people. And this one, he's deepened and transformed even more than the others. And so the question for us is, how do we understand and honor this commandment today? So here's where we're going. I'm going to give you the Sabbath then, the Sabbath as in Christ, and then the Sabbath now. So that's where we're headed, and I'm going to move pretty quick because there's a lot to cover, and, um, but it's all a joy. It's all a gift from God for you to understand this gift and to honor Him with it. So the first kind of gleaning for this morning is understanding the Sabbath day, understanding it as it was received by the Jews then. So to start, you cannot deny the prominence or the importance of this commandment. Even if you just visually look at your Bible and you were to look at the list of commands, this is the longest and most detailed of the commandments. It's also the most repeated in the Old Testament over a hundred times. We see how strictly enforced and serious God was about this Sabbath day. In fact, it's the only commandment of the ten that the Lord explicitly gives to Israel prior to Mount Sinai. David covered this in Exodus chapter 16 when they were out collecting manna that God gave. And on Saturday, God actually changed the constitution of the bread that he gave from heaven so that it would last an extra day on that day so they wouldn't have to go out on the seventh day to gather the manna. And he said, you shall rest on this day. It's a solemn day for worship to the Lord your God. And so the people disobeyed and went out and looked for it anyways, and it wasn't there because God was serious about them honoring this day of rest. So what does God mean in this commandment by Sabbath day? Two, two things here. Uh, one, it was a day, a holy day for rest and for worship. Sabbath comes from this Hebrew word, root word that means to cease or to rest. That's the prominent idea behind the Sabbath day is that you should cease or rest from your labors. And God had very specific reasons for calling them to do this. It was a day to cultivate trust in God. It was a day to rest in His sufficiency and goodness. And so He calls them to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Keep it holy means I want you to set apart this day like I have set apart this day for the purpose of rest and worship. That is what the Sabbath is for. Now, it's really important to note that this day was a gift for everyone and everything. Look at these, in these few verses, we see that it's not just merely a day for individuals. Now, I love this about the law of God. God is communicating it to a group of people, but all of these you in the, in the commandment are singular. So it comes to you individually, specifically for you to obey as a part of a covenant people. And so... He's telling you, this is not just a day for you to rest. It is a day for the whole covenant people of God to completely cease their work. So um, this is not a day for you to take a break, but for your business to continue to run. 
so that you just kind of keep the lights on and the machines are still going. He was calling for a complete shutdown of their enterprise. And he did so in compassion for the people that worked for them. I don't only just want a day of rest and worship for you, but I want a day of worship and rest for everyone. And so you need to take a rest and you need to give the rest to your son, your daughter, your manservant, your female servant, and your oxen. So God even cares about the rest for the animals. He wants everyone and everything to stop and to honor this day of completely ceasing to cultivate a rest for all and to cultivate trust in all. And so that's what we saw this uh, in Exodus 16, this principle. I want you to trust me, right? I'm going to, it's every single day leading up to that Friday, the, de- the bread had only lasted one day. So the question is, will you trust me that on this day, I'll make it last a day longer and I'm calling you not to work? And so you can see how this is like a test for the people of God. Will you trust God? Will you actually take a break from all of your labors and all of your productivity, all of your projects that are pressing in and actually trust God? God, I trust you to actually change the constitution of my other days and make me more efficient on those other days. And I will give you this day. Now, every day belongs to him. But I will honor you on this day as an expression of trust and worship that I choose to rest in you. Now, there is one primary difference between this law and the other laws that we see in the Ten Commandments. I want you to think about these in terms of, like, there are layers to this law. So, there's a a ceremonial layer, a civil layer, and a moral layer. When we talk about the Ten Commandments, we're talking about these moral commandments that are binding on all peoples and all times. That the, the new covenant doesn't ch- somehow change these moral commandments that are binding on all people everywhere. But there are ceremonial aspects to the law, like the feasts and the sacrifices that were fulfilled in Christ that we no longer abide by now because they were all signposts that were pointing ahead to the Christ who is to come, who was the true once and for all sacrifice, who fulfilled at least the spring feast in his first coming. And so there is a part of this commandment that is ceremonial, meaning it is like the feasts and the sacrifices that on the seventh day of the week, they were to keep this as a holy day, just like they would keep the Day of Atonement, just like they would keep the Feast of Booze, that this was a Sabbath day where weekly on the seventh day of the week, they were to honor God in ceasing from their work for rest and for worship. That seventh day observance is a ceremonial aspect to this law. You also see the civil law of this, that specifically the nation of Israel had judicial laws surrounding the Sabbath where there were grave consequences for violating or profaning the Sabbath. Uh, David read this in a reading of the law a couple of weeks ago that a man went out to gather firework on, firewood on the Sabbath and they set him aside and said, Lord, what should be done? And the Lord said, put him to death. He has profaned my Sabbath. Now, let all the earth fear the Lord. 
You, you look at that and think, wow, that seems really intense. God looks at it and says, I have set aside a day for you to honor me. And this picture is bigger than you. It is pointing to a rest that is to come. And I have set aside this day for you to honor me as your God. I have given my people Israel the Sabbath on the seventh day, ceremonially even, as a sign of my covenant with them. So that to profane his Sabbath was to actually live like the rest of the nations and to dishonor God in the wages of sin is really death. And so put him to death outside the camp. So there was a ceremonial and a civil component to this law. But unlike the other ceremonial laws, so you think this, this command about honoring God on the seventh day and keeping it holy could have just been included in the rest of the Levitical law where the other ceremonial laws were contained. But God cemented this one in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments. Why? Because there's a moral component to this law that was not abrogated in Christ that, that we still honor on this side of the cross of Christ, and namely, it's to dedicate a day for resting in God and for the worship of God. Now, I want to show you something real quick before we go on to how we see Jesus' teaching on the Sabbath. So, we saw first that the Sabbath, in seeking to understand the Sabbath day, we saw that it was a day of holy rest for, for rest and worship. We also see that it was a day that was designed at creation. Our text shows us that this was not a new law that God was giving to the children of Israel, but one that God wove into the very fabric of creation. That's what helped make sense of the language of remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You don't remember something that you're just mentioning for the first time, but he gives as the reason for giving the commandment why? Why honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy? Because in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the principle of the Sabbath does not, is not rooted in the Mosaic law, but in creation itself. This is actually where we get the concept of a seven-day week in the first place. There's nothing about the seasons that would commend a seven-day week to us. That We have seven-day weeks because it, all of our weeks are modeled after the first week of creation where God created the world in six days and on the seventh he rested. And ever since then, we've had weeks. And so from the outset of creation, God instituted a day of rest and he blessed it as a gift for all of his creation. It is a gift that he gave to all of his creation, not to just the people of Israel. And I think a lot of times when we commend rest or Sabbath to one another, we might say something like, well, you're not God, so you need to rest. But God doesn't have that same line of thinking when he commends the Sabbath to us. He says, I want you to rest to become like me. We rest because God rested he rested to delight in his glory and in his work, and he calls us to be like him, to join him in a day of rest, to glory in him and in his work. So to summarize, understanding the Sabbath, Sabbath rest is a gift. It's a blessing from God rooted in creation, and 
specifically given to the people of Israel as a day for rest and worship. And the Jewish Sabbath specifically were given as a sign of God's salvation of them as his covenant people. So now our question is, what did the Lord Jesus teach about Sabbath? And what, if anything, did he change? So here's kind of our next major section. The Lord of the Sabbath fulfills and transforms the day. So first, Jesus deepened our understanding of the Sabbath. If you knew nothing of Sabbath coming in this morning, maybe the only thing that you remembered is that when you read the Gospels, it seemed to be a pretty controversial subject in Jesus' teaching and in his ministry. But it's really important to note at the outset that the Lord Jesus never once broke the fourth commandment, that Jesus always remembered the Sabbath day and kept it holy because he said that he came not to abolish one stroke of the law, but to fulfill it. You could say that if Jesus broke the fourth commandment, then he could not be your savior because he would be with sin. He would not be an eligible sacrifice to atone for the sins of his people. So Jesus perfectly kept the Sabbath day, but the Pharisees and other religious leaders layered on superstitious, man-made Sabbath laws on top of the gift that God had given, and Jesus violated all of those. Now, I, when we, we went to Israel, you could see this very plainly. There's a lot of Phariseeism alive and well still there today, and there's a lot of Phariseeism alive and well in the church. But one of the ways that we see that is we would go to a hotel, and there's a regular elevator, and there's a Sabbath elevator. The regular elevator, you were free to press buttons and go to the floor that you want, and the Sabbath elevator would stop on every floor without having to press a button so that you would not have to press a button and so work on the Sabbath. Now, that is an example of kind of a man-made law layered on top of the good gift that God has given, kind of defining work as they wanted to and commending, abstaining from certain kinds of work as a way of commending themselves to God, as a way of earning the righteousness of God. And so we see again and again Jesus violates their rules and rebukes them in their man-made Sabbath regulations that they layered on top of God's good gift. So I like to picture Jesus in the Sabbath elevator just walking right in and being like, and actually probably a little bit more like Buddy the Elf where he's like just pressing all the buttons, right? Because he's saying, that, so the Pharisees would see him do something like that and they get fired up and call him out on violating the Sabbath. And what is Jesus' response to them? The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, which is such a powerful claim to deity, both in claiming to be the Son of Man prophesied in Daniel, but also saying the Sabbath was given by the Creator at creation, and I am Lord of the Sabbath. It reminds me of this moment in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where the witch is kind of quoting the law to Aslan, and he says, don't quote the law to me. I was there when it was written. And it's like Jesus is not, he's not saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I can break it if I want to. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you don't quote the law to me. I'm the one who wrote it. I'm the one who sanctified the Sabbath day and made it holy. I know how to keep it. And so 
he exalts himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. Over and over again, if you just read through the Gospels, I wish we had time to go to all these different texts, you would see the Sabbath is a gift. That He says the, the Sabbath was not, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made as a gift for you. And he shows that it is a day for rest, yes, but it's also a day for doing necessary good and for showing mercy to people. So we see Jesus deepens our understanding of the Sabbath, but he also fulfills the Jewish Sabbath. Ultimately, the Sabbath day symbolized and pointed ahead to a deeper reality for the people of God. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4 that there's a rest from God that people enter into when they cease from their own works and they embrace by faith Christ crucified and raised for our justification. When you cease your efforts at earning the righteousness of God by your own performance and you embrace the finished work of Christ, you are honoring the principle of Sabbath rest. That God resting from his works at creation was always a model and a picture that pointed ahead to all creation. It's like a clarion call to all that he's made. You must cease from your works and accept the Christ that I have given to work in your place and that we would embrace the work of Christ on our behalf. So don't miss this. This is truest Sabbath keeping today. More than keeping or honoring a specific day of the week, the truest Sabbath keeping is arresting from your own labors for righteousness and embracing the work of Christ in your place where he has accomplished and secured forever the rest that Sabbath always pointed to. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He is the one who secured what Sabbath always pointed ahead to and has now obtained for us everlasting rest in the presence of God by his own working. So he says in Hebrews in that same passage, it was not Joshua who brought the people of God rest when he brought them into the promised land and they were promised a rest, but that there was a rest that was bigger than that, that was ultimately pointed to in the new earth when God's will come and live forever with his people as our God and we will rest in his presence because of the finished work of Christ. So Christ himself is the fulfillment of all that the Jewish feasts pointed ahead to, all of their feasts and holy days. So Paul shows us this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, or it says actually in the Greek, Sabbaths. That phrase is meant to refer to all of the Jewish holy days. You have your annual holy days, you have your monthly holy days, so the new moons and the Sabbaths, your weekly holy days. All of these were part of the ceremonial law that he then says in verse 17, these, namely Jewish holy days, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Paul would get on to people for religiously observing the shadows as a means of commending themselves to God when he says all of these things were shadows that were pointing ahead to reality that we now have in Christ. 
So rest in him and his finished work. Cease striving and know that he is God. John Calvin would say about this text that Christ is the Sabbath's true fulfillment. There is no doubt that by the Lord Christ's coming, the ceremonial part of this commandment was abolished. Christians ought therefore to shun completely the superstitious observance of days. Now, superstitious is an important word there. I take him to mean that we do not honor Saturday or Sunday as days in themselves as means of commending us as righteous to God. We don't honor Sundays or Saturdays as superstitiously as days in themselves as means of commending us to God. That in Christ, the shadow of the Jewish Sabbath has given way to substance. But because this law is given to us in the moral law of God, there are principles from the shadows that need to be concrete in our lives. Specifically, that honoring God, setting aside a day to cease from our labors and to enjoy the finished work of Christ on the cross as an expression of our trust in Him and the sufficiency of what He's done, as an expression of our trust in God's provision, we should set aside a day to honor as holy to the Lord. And in the history of the church that, so hang on before I go there. This is specifically and mainly so that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ could organize a day where we could be obedient to God in not neglecting to gather together to stir one another up to love and good deeds and to worship Christ and to encourage one another, like the author of Hebrews says in chapter 10. Now, this is the main purpose of the Sabbath day on this side of the cross of Christ is to honor a day as holy and to organize the corporate worship of God by his redeemed people. But ever since Jesus rose from the grave and secured eternal Sabbath rest for his people on the first day of the week, Christians have most commonly honored the principle of Sabbath rest on the first day of the week, and they have called it the Lord's Day. So I want to show you quickly two main evidences of that, where we see that from the Word and from church history, and the significance for us, why we're even talking about that, and then we're going to close about how can we as a church honor this commandment and obey it today, okay? So first, we see the Lord's Day in the Word of God. This is so awesome. Jesus rose on the first day of the week, and then he appears to his disciples. You remember it says that the doors were locked? This is making a point, like Jesus appears to them, and he says, peace be to you. But those disciples had gathered on the first day of the week, and Jesus first appears to them on the first day of the week. And then Acts chapter 20, verse 7, speaks of Christ's followers gathering to break bread at the Lord's table on the first day of the week. Or Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthian church in chapter 16, he says, when you gather on the first day of the week, set aside money for the church in Jerusalem. So we see over and over again, there's this pattern of the church meeting on the first day of the week. And then you have this gem from Revelation 1 where John says, I was in the spirit, quote, on the Lord's day. So already by the time John is writing Revelation at the end of the first century, 
there is this concept of the Lord's Day on the first day of the week. This is corroborated with church history. Justin Martyr was an apologist who lived from about 100 AD, so 100 years after the Christ's birth, to AD 65, and he said that the church met for worship on the first day of the week. The Didache, I looked that up on Google a couple of times to make sure I didn't mess up how to say that, just for you. It was a church manual that many date to the first century, and it used the Lord's Day to describe the day that the church met for worship. And lastly, Ignatius, who, from a discipleship standpoint, was like the grandson of the Apostle John. John discipled Polycarp, Polycarp discipled Ignatius, and he said that by the end of the first century, quote, Christians no longer observe the Sabbath, meaning the Jewish Sabbath, but direct their lives towards the Lord's day on which our life is refreshed by Him and by His death. So, I want you to consider with me the significance of this change, of moving this day that is set aside for resting in God and for the worship of God at the end of the week and moving it to the beginning of the week. Now, we know that the cross and the resurrection are the climactic point in all of eternity, all of human history, all of eternity past and future are going to hinge at this point where the Lamb of God was offered in the place of His people to redeem us so that we might be His people forever. So it would make sense that there would be this huge shift as we move away from the ceremonial aspects of the Jewish Sabbath, that there would be a new day. But from the beginning of creation to the Lord Jesus' resurrection, the six-day work week preceded the day of rest. And that symbolized this reality where God writes to us, Leviticus, Romans quotes this, God told his people, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now, that was given to us to lead us to Christ so that we would know that by not doing them, we needed a Savior. This was the structure of the week that fit this covenant of works that if you obey me in these things, then eternal rest is on the other side of your obedience. Go have your week. And so every week was this symbolic picture of you have to work to enter the rest, which would never do. There was no one who could be righteous before God or who could secure the rest of God by their own labors. So Christ fulfilled all that Sabbath pointed ahead to and he forever changed the day in the way of rest for the people of God. That God at the outset of creation honored the seventh day as a day of rest and made it holy. But Jesus emerged from the grave as the head of a new creation where he's making all things new. And at this new creation, he's saying, I'm making a new day at the new creation. And this day of rest starts at the beginning of the week because no longer do you have to labor to seek to enter into my rest. You will start from the rest that I want for you. And it is a glorious picture. God even, it's, it's almost like a little hint at it, at creation itself. What was Adam and Eve's first full 24-hour day in creation? They were created on the sixth day. So it's like they wake up and he's like, I've already done everything. Come and rest with me. So even at creation, we see this hint that this rest is coming that's secured by the work of Christ and not by our labors. But all throughout the Old Testament, you have this six-day week that pointed to work at it, and rest will come on the other side of your work. And it was always met with disappointment and failure. 
now we have a week that's structured around the glorious truth that Jesus is our rest. He has cried out from the cross, it is finished. The work is done, and now you begin your life by resting in him. So, how do we honor the rest that he has won for us on a weekly basis? Remembering the Sabbath today, or the Sabbath now. I've got that I've got five minutes, so you ready? Let's buckle. I don't want you to miss that the truest Sabbath rest is an everyday experience in all of your life where you cease from your labors and rest in the finished work of Christ. So he, he says in Hebrews, there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God, and we should strive to enter into that rest, not by our own labors, but to make sure that we actually have faith. And that language is there's a Sabbath keeping for the people of God, that we keep Sabbath as we cease from our works and as we rest in the finished work of Christ. But there's also a Sabbath keeping that gives expression to that faith, that honors that faith. And that's what I want to point us to. How do we honor a day in seven as a gift from God to cease from our work for the sake of worship and rest? That's what this day is for. Remember, a day for resting and trusting in God, a day for worship and a day for tending to your own soul. And he, he did, at the outset of creation, consecrated a day for it. He didn't consecrate a couple hours. We're just like, well, we try to squeeze in the worship of God to a day that's otherwise occupied. But to actually set aside your employments and your work and your everyday activities for a day to focus on resting in Christ's finished work and to worship him. So I want to give you this language. It's from the Synod of Dort which you've probably never said before. Um, that's, it's from the Dutch Reformed Church in 1619. But I, I like this language for the precision of it, so please listen carefully to it because I think it's important for us as a church. They said, with the Sabbath of the Jews having been abrogated, meaning the ceremonial aspects of the law have been fulfilled and done away with, the Lord's day is solemnly sanctified by Christians. From the time of the apostles, this day was always observed in the church. This same day is thus consecrated for divine worship so that in it one might rest from all servile works, parentheses, with these accepted, which are works of charity and pressing necessity, and from those recreations which impede the worship of God. Now, there's a lot of grace here and a lot of room for you to deceive yourself and a lot of room for people to interpret how we live this out differently. And the word is so clear for you to not pass judgment on another believer for their convictions, but everyone must be fully convinced in his own mind of how you honor God by honoring Sabbath rest. And so these principles are important and they're what we hold to as a church. There, there is need for doing good on the Sabbath. So it's not work to cook and provide and make clean to provide a place for people to come and gather and fellowship together in Christ. That is good. And it says uh, exceptions are pressing necessity. So there are labors like people who work in hospitals where they have to be available sometimes on Sundays and 
that is perfectly acceptable. And they should try to get off, but there are going to be times where you can't work around it, and they have to find other ways of gathering with the church regularly and ceasing from their labors. But so often, I think we try to find ways around the law of God because we don't see it as a good gift. And so we think, well, what's really required of me? And that's what I'm not going to do now to close the message is, well, here's these burdens that we must lay on you that you must keep. But I want to give you principles. How do we honor God's gift of rest and worship for our joy as a church? How do you have a day a week that becomes your favorite day? Because it's a day where you cease from all of your have to and you get to rest in God. That's one of the reasons why God says for giving it to him. He says, you were slaves in Egypt. You didn't have a choice. You worked every day as slaves, and now you're free. And so honor your freedom. Honor the redemption that Christ has wrought for you in not having a day of slavery, a day of freedom and rest and worship. So I want to give you these two principles quickly. One, discipline yourself for delight in God. And I mean by that, work ahead to enjoy a day of rest and worship. It's still a test, beloved. Will you trust God? Six days you shall work, but there's a day where you need to rest because you have limits and God made you. He designed you. He hardwired you to need a day where you rest. But it's not just rest as we would define it. So we talked about kind of spending our day, all of our little spare time on social media or TV and other things that are just empty and they don't actually replenish us. He wants you to take a day of rest for the purpose of worship and tending to your soul. And so the question for us is, will we trust the Lord enough to provide for us in six days and to actually put down our projects, our work, and the things that are pressing, your ordinary labor, whatever that is, can you put it down for a day as an expression of worship? as an expression of faith and trust in God. I remember when I was in seminary, the Lord convicted me about this so much, and I was working full-time, and I was having to write papers, and I was also the discipleship pastor of a church, and I just felt like I was drowning. And he put his finger on this, and he says, honor me. I'm like, but I need that day to write papers. And I just felt his conviction so much about it. So you know what I did? I just resolved that I wasn't going to write papers or do seminary work on Sunday, and I was just going to take the day to enjoy my family and worship God and to rest, to read good Christian books that I had meant to be reading or to spend time with friends that I meant to spend time with that we could encourage each other in the Lord. And guess what? I didn't miss that day. The Lord honored that. I don't know if I got more efficient in other times. I don't know if I started writing papers in my sleep or what all happened, but the Lord honored it. You can ask Chick-fil-A. Nobody has ever sought to honor the Lord in this way and has regretted it. Chick-fil-A looks at all these other restaurants and they say, we're going to give you the most profitable day of the week and we'll catch you by Wednesday because we honor the Lord. And he's not going to make you suffer by having faith in him and keeping his commandments. And so I want to commend honoring the Lord's day to you not as a means of securing righteousness before God, but as a means of gathering together with his church and for you to keep it holy, for you to set the day apart like God has, 
where other things don't press in on gathering together as a church. You don't arrive late and leave early like you have all these other better things to do. Honor him and keep it holy for the sake of rest and worship together, for the sake of encouraging one another and stirring each other up to love and good deeds. Because true faith actually expresses itself in works. And so we hear from John that no one can say that he loves God and, and while hating its brother. Or we would say, you cannot have any confidence in your membership in the global body of Christ if you're not expressing functional church membership in a local body. It's self-deception. It's also deception to claim that we trust God, but then not give to Him as He's designed for us to give of the first fruits of all that we are. And so I think in the same way with all of those principles, it'd be hard to convince ourselves that we actually rest in the finished work of Christ and that we're trusting in Him. All the while, our lives are marked by our frenetic labor that never ceases because we just have one more thing to do, one more dollar to earn. And He says, this is His heart. I have a gift for you. I want you to come. He says this to his disciples. It's so beautiful. He says, come away and rest a while. I want you to rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Laden, I will give you rest for your souls. But don't just embrace that ethereally. Express your faith in his sufficiency and his goodness. The goodness of his gift and his rest to actually give expression to it by ceasing for a day of rest and worship. And I want to close with this. I'm asking for us to think prayerfully with regard to how you recreate on the Lord's day and to delight yourself in the Lord. This is where I'm not going to give you specifics, okay? Because it's going to be different for different people. God will convict you differently. But don't just let your day happen to you while you think uncritically or unprayerfully about the activities of your day. So this is what I would say. Let's walk with the Lord of the Sabbath with the intent to honor him and his day all day. Is that fair? Is that, I think that's a gracious way of saying let's honor this, right? This is a way of saying let's obey him. The main way that we obey him is every day, all of our lives, ceasing from our works and trusting in the finished work of Christ. But we want to give expression to the f- truth that he is our rest by honoring him We're not new on the scene to the church. For thousands of years, the church has given expression to this faith in this specific way of honoring the Lord's day and keeping it holy to him. Now, people differ on what kind of recreation they can enjoy and what that might look like. And I say to you, let's walk with the Lord of the Sabbath. And let's let's walk with him and honor him like it's his day and like it's all day. And then let's cease from our labors in a way that gives other people rest too. And as we do, we will find ourselves refreshed. How awesome would it be if the response of our church, people say, how are you doing? Instead of busy, 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 it was, man, refreshed and happy in Jesus. I'm resting in his finished work and I feel so full of the joy of the Lord. He is my strength. And I am reminded of that week after week as I embrace his gift of rest. Let's pray. Oh, Father, 
Lord, you know how prone our hearts are to legalism and how prone we are to running from good commandments and calling them legalism. Lord, would you save us from both? We want to honor you, the Lord of the Sabbath. We want to honor the way that you have designed this day to work in all of creation and the truth that Christ has emerged from the grave as the head of a new humanity and that you have accomplished eternal rest for your people as we cease from our labors and we rest in yours. Thank you that the work is done and that it's finished. Please help us to be obedient to you in this, Lord. Don't let us walk away from this cold or aloof or going to search all the internet for all the different people that might say that we don't have to do this when it would be rejecting a gift. Help us to trust you that your design is good, that from creation, your design is that we take one day in seven as a day of rest and ceasing from our labors to honor your finished work. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the way that you love us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for inviting us into your rest and for securing it for us forever. Help us now to rejoice in you and to rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.